I want to make sure that fathers get their recognition because I had an extremely loving father who was able to show me a good example of what our Heavenly Father is like. And I have appreciated him much. I lost him many, many years ago. Um, he was way too young, but I still remember his loving kindness. And so, fathers, I need to recognize you. I, I will never forget the day my son was born. Actually, I'll never forget any of my children's birth, even though I'm a very old lady now. However, at my son's birth, I don't think there was anybody in that room that knew I was there. Um, the doctor and, the, and my husband at the time, um, the father, both cried when they realized that this was the boy. We had had two girls first, as many of you know. Um, so I quickly learned that fathers and sons do have a special attachment. But the overwhelming importance of a father's role in the family was demonstrated to me in the years after my daughter's abuse. You see, I never understood before that time how important a father's role is in that parenting team. What I experienced is hard to explain, but I saw the difference between a daughter who had a father who could not accept a devastating situation and a daughter who had a father who still treated his little girl like a princess. Fathers, your role in this parenting team is awesome and special and beyond description. So we honor you today because you are an extremely important part of the family. And today, as we do so, we have a couple of volunteers. Thank you. Some of them stepped up at the last minute. And they are going to guide us through an experience of various biblical fathers in um, their roles in their families. Thank you. morning. Adam, the first man. Adam was the first man on earth and the father of the human race. God formed him from the dust of the ground, and for a, for, for a short time, Adam lived alone. It's hard to imagine what it was like to have the buck stop there. Adam arrived on the planet with no childhood, no parents, no family, no friends. Perhaps it was Adam's loneliness that moved God so quickly to present him with a companion, Eve. The creation of Adam and Eve is found in two separate biblical accounts. The first in Genesis chapter 1, 26-31, shows the couple and their relationship with God and the rest of creation. Verse 31, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. The second account in Genesis chapter 2, 4 and chapters 3, 24 reveals the origin of sin and God's plan for the redeeming of the human race. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, Genesis 2, 7. God gave Adam the Garden of Eden and allowed him to name the animals. 
paradise was, paradise was his to enjoy, but he also had the responsibility of taking care of it. Adam knew that one of the trees was off limits, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam probably taught Eve's good rule. I'm sorry, excuse me. Adam probably taught Eve God's rule of the garden, and she would have known it was forbidden to eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. But when Satan tempted her, Eve was deceived. And then Eve offered the fruit to Adam, and the fate of the world was on his shoulders. When they ate the fruit, man's independence and disobedience separated them from God. Through Adam's transgression, sin entered the human race. But the matter did not stop there. By the first sin, by that first sin, Adam became a servant of sin. His fall placed a permanent mark on all of humankind, affecting not only Adam, but all of his descendants. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, oh, this word gets great, and the death through sin in this way, death spread to all his people because all sinned. In his greatness, God had a plan already in place to deal with man's sin. The Bible is all about the story of God's plan for salvation of man. Adam's one act brought condemnation and punishment, but Jesus' one act would bring salvation. God chose Adam to name the animals, making him the first zoologist. He was also the first landscaper and horticulturist responsible to work the garden and care for the plants. He was the first man and the further, father of humankind. He was the only man without a mother and father. We know very little about his parenting skills and find it hard to imagine the pain caused by losing two children to death at once, especially since death was such a foreign concept to him. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Therefore, because one other person, Jesus, obeyed God, many are being made righteousness and righteous. Adam's story shows us that God wants his followers to freely choose to obey him and submit to him out of love. We also learn that nothing we do is hidden from God. Likewise, there is no benefit for us to blame others for our failings. As believers, we must accept personal responsibility to show up who we are and how we are in the world as one of God's children. Noah, a righteous man. In a world taken over by evil, violence, and corruption, the Bible reveals Noah to be a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. It is difficult to imagine such unwavering faithfulness in the midst of total godlessness, but that is the lesson that Noah's story teaches believers. Over and over again, Noah's, the Bible states, Noah did everything just as God commanded. His life of 950 years exemplified obedience. During Noah's time, the wickedness of man had covered the earth like a flood. As a result, God commanded a flood of his own, a literal one, in which all people on earth would perish. Only Noah and his family would 
be spared. It is always true in God's judgments there are a remnant of faithful people, and in this case, Noah was Noah, it was Noah who was available to restart humanity. To prepare for the upcoming apocalypse, the Lord Noah, the Lord instructed Noah to build an ark in which he, his family, and two of each animal on earth, seven of the clean animals, would be sheltered during the storm. Noah accepted God's call and never wavered from it. Appropriately mentioned in the Hall of Faith in the Book of Hebrews, Noah is an exemplar of the Christian faith. When we meet Noah in the Bible, we learn that he is the only follower of God remaining in his generation. After the flood, he becomes the second father of the human race. As an engineer, architect, and shipbuilder, he put together an amazing structure using God's plan, the likes of which had never before been built. With the length of time to complete the project spanning 120 years, building the ark was quite a notable achievement. Noah's greatest accomplishment, however, was his faithful commitment to obeying and walking with God in all the days of his life. Although Noah loved God with his whole heart and was fully committed to obeying his every command, this does not mean he was perfect or, or sinless. In fact, he had, a fe he had a weakness for wine, his only recorded sin. In Genesis 9, the Bible tells us how Noah became drunk and passed out in his tent, making himself an embarrassment to his sons. Noah's life can be seen as a model of patience, persistence, and unwavering faithfulness to God in the face of faithless society. Surely it wasn't easy for Noah, but he found favor in God's eyes because of his remarkable obedience. Just as God blessed and saved Noah, he will faithfully bless and protect those who follow and obey him today. The call to obedience is not a short term, but one not a short term one-time call. Like Noah, obedience is to be lived out over a lifetime of faithful commitment. The story of Noah's drunken transgression is a reminder that even the godliest people have weaknesses and can fall prey to temptation and sin. Sin not only affects the individual in negative ways, but also those with whom people come into contact, friends, family, and others. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. Never again with all life be destroyed by waters of flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. I have said my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. By faith, Noah warned about 
things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham. Abraham was a man of great faith and obedience to the will of God. His name in Hebrew means father of multitudes. Originally called Abram or exalted father, the Lord changed his name to Abraham as a symbol of the covenant promise to multiply his descendants unto a great nation that God would call his own. Prior to this, God had already visited Abraham when he was 75 promising to bless him and make his offspring into an abundant nation of people. This marked the beginning of the covenant God established with Abraham. It was also Abraham's first test from God since he and his wife, Sari, later changed to Sarah, were still without child. Accompanied by his wife and nephew Lot, Abraham prospered as a rancher and a shepherd and he made his new home surrounded by pagans in the promised land of Canaan. Still childless, however, Abraham's faith wavered. When a famine struck, rather than waiting on God for provisions, he packed up and took his family to Egypt. More years passed, and Abraham and Sarah began to question God's promise. At one point, they decided to take matters into their own hands. At Sarah's encouragement, Abraham took Hagar, his wife's Egyptian maidservant, as a surrogate wife. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, but he was not the promised son. God returned to Abraham when he was 99 to remind him of the promise and reinforce his covenant with Abraham. A year later, Isaac was born. Abraham underwent the biggest test of his faith when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. The promised heir in Genesis 22, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, him whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Abraham obeyed fully fully prepared to slay his son while fully trusting God to either resurrect Isaac from the dead or provide a substitute sacrifice. At the last minute, God intervened and provided a necessary ram. Now Abraham, more than any other father, would understand the father's heart that did ultimately give his son for the world's salvation. The death of Isaac would have contradicted every promise God had made to Abraham. So his willingness to perform the ultimate sacrifice of killing his son is probably one of the most striking, dramatic examples of faith and trust in God found in the Bible. One crucial lesson we learn from Abraham is God can and will use us in spite of our weaknesses. God will even stand by us and rescue us from our foolish mistakes. 
The Lord is greatly pleased by our faith and willingness to, to obey him. Like most of us, Abraham could, came to the full realization of God's purpose and promise only over a long period of time and a process of revelation. Thus, we learn from him that God's calling will usually come to us in stages. He believed that God would keep his promise, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count. Isaac. Isaac was a miracle child, born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age as a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to make his descendants a great nation. Three heavenly beings visited Abraham and told him in a year he would have a son. It seemed impossible because Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100. Sarah, was all, who was eavesdropping, laughed at the prophecy, but God heard her. She denied laughing. God told Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Of course, the prophecy came true. Abraham obeyed God, naming the baby Isaac, which means he laughs. When Isaac was young, God ordered Abraham to take his beloved son to a mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham sadly obeyed, but at the last moment, an angel stopped him, stopped his hand with the knife raised, raised in it, telling him not to harm the boy. It was a test of Abraham's faith, and he passed. For his part, Abraham willingly became the sacrifice because of his faith in his father and in God. Later, Isaac married Rebekah, but they found she was barren, just as Sarah had been. As a good husband, Isaac prayed for his wife, and God granted Rebekah children. She gave him twins, Esau and Jacob. Isaac favored Esau, a burly hunter and an outdoorsman, while Rebekah favored Jacob, the more sensitive, thoughtful of the two. That was an unwise move for a father to take. Isaac should have demonstrated love to both boys equally. This unfairness caused a serious split in their family. God obeyed, Isaac obeyed God and followed his commands. He was a loyal husband to Rebekah. He became a patriarch of the Jewish nation, fathering Jacob and Esau. Jacob's 12 sons would go on to lead the 12 tribes of Israel. Isaac was faithful to God. He never forgot how God saved him from death and provided a ram to be sacrificed in his place. He watched and learned from his father Abraham one of the most faithful men of the Bible. In an era where polygamy was accepted, Isaac took only one wife, Rebecca. He loved her deeply all his life. However, he did lie to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, about Rebecca's status as his wife, and instead she said she was his sister. 
So God answers prayers. He heard Isaac's prayer for, for Rebecca and allowed her to save to have children. God hears our prayers too and gives us what is best for us. Trusting God is wiser, wiser than lying. We are often tempted to lie to protect ourselves, but it almost always results in bad consequences. God is worthy of our trust. Parents should not favor one child over the other. The division and hurt this caused can result in irreparable harm. Every child has a unique gift that should be encouraged. Isaac's near sacrifice can be compared to God's sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ, for the sins of the world. Isaac trusted in trusted his fatherly his earthly father and his heavenly father to be willing to sacrifice if that was God's plan. He would cooperate with God as he did as his father did Abraham. wonderful it turned out I got to present Jacob because coincidentally he's my favorite hero in the Bible so I love how that worked out I think Sharon did that on purpose and while I'm sh singing Sharon's praise I just wanted the opportunity to thank her for all the work she's done in the interim I don't think I don't think any of us realize how much work she's put into it she might not even realize it herself although I have a feeling she knows a little bit <laughs> but she's done a lot and we really appreciate it God is very good and everyone stepped in to help, but especially Sharon. So thank you, everybody, for keeping our, our little church running while we were in the interim and COVID. It was an interesting year, but we all did very well. So speaking of difficult times, let's talk about Jacob. We know Jacob is the father of the tribes of Israel. We know Jacob as Israel. It's where the nation got their name, the nation of Israel. But Jacob wasn't always the strong, faith-actuated man we know as Israel. His experience was different from his grandfather's experience. His grandfather was Abraham, one of the pillars. It took him a while to make that experience his own. Does that sound familiar? That's, I'm reminded of that myself. I grew up with a great Christian father of my own, which I'm very grateful for, but... I feel like uh, when I was younger, my Christian experience stalled a lot, and it took me a while to get it. So I can relate to Jacob. That might be why he's my favorite. His, his life even started with a struggle. The way he was born, Scripture accounts that he was holding his twin's heel. He really wanted to come out first. He really wanted to be first. Does that also sound familiar? So his, his life started in conflict, again, making it very relatable holding onto his heel. His actual name means he who grasps the heel or also deceiver. I wonder if uh, Jacob meant deceiver back then or whether then that took on that name deceiver because he was a deceiver, but that's what it means. So how would you like to have the name deceiver walking around in the world? Actually, a really good buddy of mine's name is Jake, but he's a good dude, so I won't fault him for his name. We can see that he had, he appreciated spiritual things because there's that story of him kind of bartering for the spiritual birthright of his family, but we don't get a whole lot of other intimation that he was fully, let's say, converted yet. You guys remember when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, when you're converted, and Peter, having been with him for a few years, must have thought, when I'm converted, 
But you can see, you can see the point I'm trying to make. Jacob wasn't converted yet. He established, God established the covenant with Jacob's grandfather, but obviously Jacob wasn't in that relationship quite yet. The blessings of God continued through Isaac, Jacob's father, and into his descendants. Jacob ultimately became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He had a very special part. But Jacob was struggling with God. He was struggling getting this relationship going in early in his life, and he ended up deceiving his father into giving him the birthright that was intended for his older brother, and then he had to flee from the wrath of his older brother. So we're not getting glimpses of quite a righteous, holy pillar of spirituality yet, are we? So in that context, he left to go to Mesopotamia where he would meet his wives. However, he also met his match in the deception arena in his father-in-law, Laban, who deceived him by giving him a wife he did not work for and thus forced Jacob to work for him extra years to get the wife he really loved and wanted. Despite all this, God was guiding and teaching Jacob to depend on him. So if you're ever feeling discouraged, like you're not meeting up to some of our biblical heroes, read their stories again. It'll be very, very encouraging. Not all of us get it right away. As Jacob matured in faith, he learned to depend on God more and more. But the turning point for Jacob came after a dramatic all-night wrestling match with God. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that story. Through bitter tears and humiliation, he struggled with the unknown. And in the end, when God touched Jacob's hip, he was broken. He was a broken man, but also a new man. From that day forward, Jacob was called Israel. For the rest of his life, he walked with a limp, demonstrating his dependence on God. Jacob finally learned to give up control to God. Jacob's story teaches us how an imperfect person can be greatly blessed by God, not because of who he or she is, but because of who God is. We were covering that in our lesson this morning. Jacob fathered 12 sons, like we said. He became the leader of the 12 tribes of Israel that we're familiar with. One of them was Joseph, a key figure in the Old Testament. His name is frequently associated with God in the Bible, as in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Jacob was clever. Sometimes this trait worked for him, and sometimes it backfired. He used both his mind and his strength to build his wealth and his family. Sometimes Jacob made his own rules, deceiving others for selfish gain. He did not always trust God to work things out. Sound familiar again? Some things we learn from Jacob that are even though God revealed himself to Jacob in the Bible. Jacob took a long time to become a true servant of the Lord. He favored Joseph over his other sons, which led to a jealousy and strife within the family. The sooner we trust in God in life, the longer we will benefit from his blessings. When we fight against God, we are in a losing battle. We often worry about missing the will of God in our life, but God works with our mistakes and bad decisions. Amen? His plans cannot be upset. One of the best things I love about Jacob is something I've made personal for myself, and it's that story of him wrestling with God during the night. And Jacob's only plea was, I will not let go until you bless me. Sometimes that is all we can do, and I think that's one of the reasons he resonates with me so much. Genesis 32:28. Then the man said, speaking of Jesus, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. From God's strength, strength we can overcome. Amen. Good morning, everybody. 
You know, when Sharon asked me to do this, uh, I think she tricked me because I thought this was coming up here to roast your father-in-law. But it turns out that's not the case, so I'll just talk a little bit about Moses here. I had a great joke about concrete, converse, and tight jeans, too. It would have been really good. But, uh, all right, let's be serious here for a second. Moses is the giver of the law. Moses stands as the dominant figure of the Old Testament. God chose Moses to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt and mediate his covenant with them. Moses handed down the Ten Commandments and completed his mission by bringing the Israelites to the edge of the Promised Land. Although Moses was inadequate for these monumental tasks, God worked mightily through him, supporting Moses every step of the way. Sometimes your cell phone here. Sorry, guys. Lost it. We're zooming in because we can't read it. Okay. Moses is someone most of us can relate to. A very human hero who was acutely aware of his shortcomings as a person. When God called Moses, he said, Lord, I'm not adequate. And Lord responded, no, but I am. In spite of his shortcomings, Moses trusted God. His fierce commitment to his calling, his dependence on prayer, and his total faith in God set a pattern for spiritual leaders to follow. The name Moses means drawn out of water, calling to mind the events surrounding the birth of Moses, who had been placed in a basket on the river Nile and then drawn out by the Pharaoh's daughter. Moses helped free the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. He led this huge mass of unruly refugees through the desert, kept order, and brought them to the border of their future home in Canaan. I think we all know this story. Moses received the Ten Commandments in face-to-face communication with God and delivered them to the people. Then, under divine inspiration, he authored the first five books of the Bible. Moses obeyed God's orders despite personal danger and overwhelming odds. Thus, God was able to work tremendous miracles through him. Moses had great faith in God, even when no one else did. He was on such intimate terms with God that God talked with him regularly. Moses disobeyed God at, I'm going to say Meribah, pronouncing that right, Meribah? You guys can correct me. Striking a rock twice with his staff when God had told him just to speak to it to produce water. Because Moses did not trust God in that instance, he was not permitted to enter the promised land. God supplies the power when he asks us to do the things that seem impossible. Even in everyday life, a heart surrender to God can be an irresistible tool. Sometimes we need to delegate. When Moses took his father-in-law's advice and delegated some of his responsibilities to others, things worked out much better. It's funny because one time I asked my father-in-law's advice, I ended up paying for lunch three weeks in a row. And all my zip ties that were stolen out of my garage. So, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Moses stepped out and followed God in spite of his human weaknesses. Perhaps this is the lesson we can learn from Moses. When God calls you to step out beyond your human abilities and comfort zone, he enables you to move forward. That's a really good good line there. You don't need to be a spiritual giant like Moses to have an intimate relationship with God. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, every believer 
has a personal connection to God the Father. As hard as we try, we cannot keep the law perfectly. The law shows us how sinful we are, but God's plan of salvation was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. The Ten Commandments are a guide for right living, but keeping the law cannot save us. Jesus did that. We keep the law because we love him for doing such. David is a man of contrast, at times a single-mindedly devoted to God, yet at other times he failed miserably, committing some of the most serious sins recorded in the Old Testament. David lived a frustrating life, first in the shadow of his brothers, then constantly on the run from vagueful King Saul. Even after he became king of Israel, David was engaged in almost constant warfare to defend the kingdom. King David was a great military conqueror, but he could not conquer himself. He allowed one night of lust with Bathsheba, and it had disastrous consequences on his life. He tried to cover up her pregnancy, and when he failed with that, he had her husband Uriah, the Hittite, killed. Perhaps This was perhaps the greatest transgression of David's life. Although King David fathered Solomon, one of Israel's greatest kings, he also was the father of Absalom, who rebelled and brought bloodshed and grief. His life was a roller coaster of emotional highs and lows. He left us an example of passionate love of God's in dozens of songs, some of which are the most touching and beautiful poetry ever written. David killed Goliath, champion of the Philistines, when he was only a youth, and Goliath was a giant veteran warrior. David was victorious because he trusted in not in, not in himself, but in God for the victory. In battle, David killed many of Israelite's enemies, but he refused to kill King Saul despite several opportunities. Saul, Saul, God's first appointed king, pursued David out at mad jealousy for years, but David did not raise a hand up against him. David and Saul's son Jonathan became best friends, like brothers, setting a model of friendship that everyone can learn from. This model of faithfulness King David included in the Faith Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. David was an ancestor of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was often called Son of David. Perhaps David's greatest accomplishments was being called man after God's own image by God himself. Despite, David was courageous and strong in battle, trusting in God to, for protection. He remained loyal in King Saul despite Saul's crazed pursuit. Throughout his life, David loved God deeply and passionately. When he took a census of the people, he willingly, willingly violated God's commandment and, and not to do that. David, King David was often lax or absent as a father, disciplining his children, not disciplining his children when they needed it. David's example teaches us that an honest self-exclamation is necessary to recognize our own sins and we must repent of it. And may we try to fool ourselves 
or others, but we cannot hide our sins from God. God wants our whole heart. Even though God always forgives our sins, we cannot escape the consequences of our sins. David's life proves this, but God highly values our sin in him. Despite lives, despite David's life's ups and downs, the Lord never ever present is to to despite David's ups and downs, the Lord is ever present and gives us comfort and help. I'll be reading about Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Jesus did not begin his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. Until that time, he supported Mary and his younger brothers and sisters with the carpentry trade Joseph had taught him. In addition to love and guidance, Joseph equipped Jesus with a worthwhile occupation so he could make his way in a hard land. Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus, the man entrusted to raise the Son of God. Joseph was also a carpenter or skilled craftsman. He obeyed God in the face of severe humiliation. Joseph was a man of strong conviction who lived out his beliefs in his actions. He was described in the Bible as a righteous man. Even when personally wronged, he had the quality of being sensitive to someone else's shame. He responded to God in obedience, and he practiced self-control. Joseph is a wonderful biblical example of integrity and godly character. Joseph was a man who listened to God, and God spoke directly to him on a few occasions. First, to take Mary and his, as his wife, since she had conceived by the Holy Spirit, and Joseph believed him. Second, to take Mary and the child and leave Bethlehem. We find in Matthew 2:13 that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is coming, is going to search for the child and kill him. The third time that Joseph heard from God was to return to the land of Israel when Herod had died. Joseph possessed a stellar character demonstrated by his trust and belief in God continually. In Matthew 2, 19-23, we hear that when Herod died, An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned of the new ruler of Judea, Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. We only know of Joseph as relating to the information about the birth of Jesus. One can only imagine the encouragement to his faith that taking baby Jesus to the temple to present him and offer the required sacrifices brought to Joseph upon hearing the prophecies from Simeon and Anna about the child they held being the salvation from God and the light to reveal God to the nations. Some of the incredible lessons that we can learn from the brief encounter we have with Joseph are 
that God honored Joseph's integrity by entrusting him with a great responsibility. It's not easy to entrust your children to someone else. Can you imagine God looking down to choose a man to raise his own son? Joseph had God's trust. We also learn that mercy always triumphs. Joseph could have acted severely towards Mary's apparent indiscretion, but he chose to offer love and mercy, even when he thought that he had been wronged. Walking in obedience to God may result in humiliation and disgrace before men. But when we obey God, even in the face of adversity and public shame, he leads and guides us. Besides feeding and clothing Jesus from his birth, Joseph arranged to have Jesus learn and read and help teach Jesus the scriptures. This care helped prepare Jesus for his ministry. As a physically strong man, Joseph was able to make it the arduous journey from Palestine to Egypt, sparing Jesus from death by Herod's soldiers. While there, Joseph probably used his carpentry skills to support his family. Without question, Joseph's leading quality was his righteousness. He trusted God, and in turn, God trusted him. His precious son, Joseph, did not always know all the details, but he acted in faith, knowing God would lead him to the next step.